I can be so like critical and like just kind of laser in on these a little bit too much. And I, for my own objectiveness, I, I like to not review them when I know I'm going to be pissed off. At <laughs> <laughs> well. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen, and I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. It's quite apparent that cask-finished bourbons are continuing to push the envelope. Every company and every producer is utilizing different barrels to create new flavors and even more skews that are coming into the market. So we sit down to analyze the secondary cask-finished bourbon category from a legal and a producer perspective. Why isn't there a legal wording for recharging barrels? What are the various wine types that we think create better taste profiles? Is finishing a whiskey an excuse for just covering up bad barrels of bourbon? And can brands hide behind the whiskey specialty designation from the TTB because consumers just don't care? Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Chris Perugini. I hope I said that right, or Perugini. It's P-E-R-U-G-I-N-I. And of course, you know him from Single Malt Savvy. Chris, I've always wanted to ask you how to pronounce your name. Uh, Hopefully, you will message me and not be too mad about how badly I butchered that. Uh, Anyway, Chris asks, what's the longest uninterrupted period of market growth in the history of bourbon? We've seen mind-glowing market expansion over the past 15 years, and I can't help but wonder if we're headed towards the longest bourbon boom in history. How long will this be sustainable? Well, this is a big, loaded question to actually fit into an above the charts, probably, to be honest with you, an entire episode of this podcast. But I will try to give you as a best summary as I possibly can. First of all, if you're really interested in the kind of like market pass and what have you, my book, Bourbon, the Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Whiskey, really studied that and followed uh, the flow of taxes. And taxes are really the best way to understand the revenue of bourbon and like, um, you know, its growth. But you really have to examine this after the Civil War. Of course, early 1800s when bourbon is just kind of planting its seeds all throughout Kentucky, it's not really a good measurable at that point. After the Civil War, when they started imposing taxes, you had all kinds of distillers all over the country, not just Kentucky, but obviously a lot in Kentucky. But it was really the formation of corporations um, around distillers at that time frame. That was kind of how we measured that growth. And then, of course, prohibition comes early 1900s. Things are getting more business oriented. Entities such as the Kentucky Distillers Association had been formed in the in the late 1800s and had been uh, advancing agendas. And so you started seeing like a a formation, an organization of an industry, whereas before it was just kind of loosey-goosey. And so you really don't have a study of growth periods in bourbon till after Prohibition. And it wouldn't be fair to compare today toward the late 1800s and early 1900s, although in history we, we tend to do that. But so post-Prohibition, that post-Prohibition growth was extraordinary. 
you know, you had everybody investing into American whiskey. Uh, large parent companies were diversifying their portfolios and owning pieces of distilleries. And so I would say if you really want to do a comparative of the closest contemporary sense, you know, that growth period between 1935 and 1939 will be the greatest growth period of American whiskey. However, World War II happens and everybody pulls back the reins. The government forces the distillers to make industrial alcohol and it wipes out a lot of independent distillers. Um, and then they just kind of, then you have like large companies just owning the majority of, of the stocks out there. They'd be known as the big four and they would own the, they would own everything, you know, in the 1940s, 50s and 60s. And there was so much whiskey being made during that time frame. And we're only just now getting kind of caught up in, yes, we are in the boom right now. And what is different today is whiskey sales today uh, is also tourism. It's also social media. It's also media. I mean, for God's sake, there was not a bourbon magazine uh, during World War II or 1950s. There was nothing to engage with an audience. Today, we have several magazines, hundreds of podcasts, hundreds of YouTube channels, books everywhere all the time. So you have a lot of things that's engaging with an audience that's not that's not a brand. And you also have tourism where millions of people are coming out to Kentucky for something to do, and they're going to bourbon distillers. So before, you know, we measured the growth of bourbon by sales and retail stores and bars. Now you have more than that. You have all these different avenues of reaching consumers. People are talking about it. Social media, bourbon is a very hot topic all the time. And so that's where we have a little bit different um, kind of analytical view of what today is in comparison to the past. We don't have a comparative, but they're all the signs point toward more more growth. And I will tell you historically, the top uh, products have 30-year reigns. So vodka had about 30 years uh, in the market as being like the top or in the top two of the best-selling products. You know, and bourbon is really about 10 to 15 years into a 30-year reign. So I think we've got another 15, maybe 20 years of this incredible bourbon boom. And there's been a lot of things that I thought would knock it down. I thought that the uh, pandemic would hurt it. I thought that the tariffs would hurt it. And so far, bourbon seems to be bulletproof. And that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like uh, Chris, uh, hit me up on fredminnick.com or write us on Patreon. Let us know your idea. And if I like it, I'll read it on the air. Till next week. Cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. 
No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome, everybody. We're back with another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And today we're talking about something that whether you would call it bourbon or whether you call it a bourbon specialty or a whiskey specialty is what we'll definitely get into today is mm-hmm. talking about the Finnish cask phenomenon, if you will. So we'll, we'll definitely dive into this. But the whole gang is here today. So we got Ryan. Hello, friends. And Fred. Going on up in here. <laughs> and we're going to get into, we've got four blinds, or not four, we actually have four regular samples in front of us. So they, maybe open. not even regular. No, we, open samples. we got open, open samples. It's an open, open samples. tasting. Yeah, open we, tasting. There's no. There's nothing blind about it, but we'll we can recruit Lauren to do another blind tasting for us. <laughs> we felt bad. <laughs> but today we're going to be talking through a few different things. So on the docket, we've got our first sample, which is going to be Thomas S. Moore, which is their sherry cask finish. And, and the second is going to be an Angel's NV limited edition release. And this is part of their seller collection that was finished in a bourbon whiskey, or sorry, it was bourbon whiskey finished in tawny port barrels. And then the third one is actually from Fourgate, which is an original batch one. Ryan, what was it again? I can't, can't read it from here. Yeah, so it's a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in a sherry and rum cask. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we got that one. And then the fourth we'll talking about is Jefferson's straight rye whiskey finished in cognac cask. So we're going to be... Big my, fan. My big, mouth big is fan. watering. Yeah. So we'll be talking about it's kind of just like the, the, the general aura of finishing and cask finishing and stuff like that. We'll talk about some of our gripes, some of our good things, like where the category is going and sort of where it takes it from there. So to kick this thing off is when we start thinking about the, the category in general... Fred, you've been very vocal about this, saying that... Our lead historian. Yeah, Fred, well, <laughs> he's been very... He's been very, Well, I mean, it's not even just a historian part of it. I mean, it's coming from somebody who's been part of the San Francisco tasting experience and, and a bunch of different judging things. Like, you've been a very big advocate to say, like, this should not be in the bourbon category. This right. should be its own separate thing. Yeah, and if we take a look at uh, barrel finishes in the American whiskey sense, you got to remember that the bourbon distillers worked very 
hard to get definitions within the federal code. And the federal code has been been in place since the 1930s that they still kind of follow on today. This is the some of it was the original language that uh, President Taft uh, created in 1909, which was our very first federal look at and definition of what uh, bourbon was. And it, there's a new charred oak a barrel connected to that. And the bourbon distillers for a long time, this faction of distillers, there was there were actual there were actual people who protested this in the 40s and 50s, and they sued and they tried to get used barrels into the bourbon game. The bourbon industry blocked it. The federal courts uh, agreed with the bourbon industry. And there was this huge effort, but at every turn, the federal government would say that bourbon has to go into new charred oak. And so in the late 1990s, there's probably a handful of people that could take an American whiskey and do what they were doing in Scotland, which was put it in an additional barrel. And that was Booker No, this bigger-than-life, iconic figure for, for Jim Beam. He's got his own brand named after him now. He died in 2004. His name, the brand is called Booker's. But Never this, heard of it. What are you talking this, about? This man is like, you know, in, in the whiskey world, he's bigger than life. And he comes out with a, with a Jim Beam masterpiece that's finished. It's an 18-year-old Jim Beam finished in a cognac barrel. It fails miserably because the consumer populace didn't understand what it was. And so, like, the market did not react positively to it. But for the whiskey distillers in the American sense, they were looking at what that was and, like, you know, what can, can we play around with that? And that was the beginning of barrel finishes. And then there was this onslaught of all these barrel finishes coming out from like 2008 to 2014. The most notable one would be Angel's Envy, which would become the very first mainstay barrel finish offering. And I love the category from a taste per perspective. I love barrel finishes. But folks, I do think that there are some major issues in terms of the uh, the legislative side, the 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 federal code around what is a barrel finish. If you look into the federal paperwork of all the brands we're about to taste, they actually are not registered under bourbon. They are they apply for a federal label under a, a category called distilled spirit specialty, which is where they kind of put in everything that has flavoring, has additional barrels added to it. And believe me, whiskey is not a, an industry of choir boys. This is an area of where people will say one thing and they'll do another. This is not a transparent industry. You're trying to be as yeah. gray as you can. This is this is not an industry that you can trust. You do need some oversight here. Sure, you need some guardrails. Absolutely. Like, like because we don't know, you know, so let's say it's a specialty barrel, but we don't know are they wet, are they dry, are they adding water or mm -hmm. liquid to it to make the, you know, the flavors come out even more so, you know, so it's like there's a lot of They could be adding gray. sugar packets. Right, you don't know what's going into all the different offerings and whatnot you just take people's word for it so it'd be nice to have some parameters and be like this Absolutely. is what whiskey specialty is and here's the confines of it anything outside of that we need to move to a different category and my fear is with you know there there is that part of it but my fear is all has always been is that one day there's going to be other countries producing bourbon which in 1964 congress declared bourbon to be a unique product in the united states and anytime somebody has a free trade agreement with us they must adhere it to our terms and conditions of what is bourbon. It, it's a protected term as in the same way that cognac is, uh, champagne is, things like that. And someone one day in another country is going to make bourbon and they're going to say, well, you're not protecting 
what is bourbon in your home turf, there's nothing in the federal code that says bourbon can be a finished in other barrels. And people are like, well, this is, says bourbon finished. And so, but the consumer doesn't know the difference. And I think it's very, very dangerous for the industry to be playing with this. To that point, there are efforts to change the federal code to allow a more narrowly defined definition of, of barrel finishes and it's creating its own category. I hope we get there. All that being said, I love the flavor that comes out of these. And that is not a kind of a hater talk. That is just years of covering the industry. And that is knowing how the world reacts to when a spirit is popular. And you were doing, you come up from it from a historical and a heritage kind of perspective, because you look at it as saying like, this is something that has been ingrained. We know about it. But what happens is that at some point, either things run stale or they run dry and people want to do something different. And so what do you got to do is you got to start sitting there and try to play within the parameters, try to figure out like, how can we manipulate this in a way that still seems attractive to the end consumer? And Fred, you had mentioned this really angels envy really sort of paved the path of what it looks like to be able to create a bourbon whiskey finish in something. Yet most, I would say 90%, granted the 10% that are listening to this are, are your hardcore whiskey consumers. Like they know better. But the 90% of the populace out there and you say, oh, cool. What kind of bourbons do you like? And they're like, oh, I like, I, I like uh, this. I like makers. I like, I like Angel's Envy. And then most of us have to be like, well, hold on. So <laughs> technically Angel's Envy is not a bourbon, right? And so you, you go down this whole path. And so I feel that you, when you start looking at this, this category, it is also trying, I'm not going to say it's trying to manipulate the consumer, but it is definitely trying to fly underneath the radar a little bit of yeah. what a consumer actually knows and what they're, you know, at, at what point does the education kind of just say like, well, it plateaus. Like at some point people just look at this, everything we're talking about, uh, the four gate finish or something, Jefferson's, everything, they just consider it part of the bourbon category. Yeah, it's. What you don't want is like a category like rum where you have someone like Foursquare and you know that they have like an authentic product, but then you have this whole wild, wild west of products that can have sugar, this and that, and stuff added. And like, as a consumer, you want to know what's in the bottle. And just because, yeah, I mean, just because you say, well, I like this product, it's my favorite bourbon, but it's not really a bourbon because it's, there's some added things going on there. I, I agree with Fred that we need to protect the category just moving forward. Cause there's so much gray area in this space that, uh, you know, you hate to see companies like not saying that anybody is right now, but it does leave the door open for, there, you yeah. know, and it leaves the door open for and that. What is what when is, you know, and Angel's Envy was the was really the first to do this. And so, like, eventually they will be the victim of someone doing it the wrong way. And, you know, that if I am someone who came into this category first, I want to have this definition shored up. I want it to have like its own kind of like like Scotch has. Scotch has six or seven different types. You know, you got single grain, you got blend, you got single malt, et cetera, et cetera. Cherry butch, all you this know, other you, kind of stuff. You got all yeah. kinds of stuff, and, but but Scotch reigns supreme. And so why can't it be like that with bourbon? And I, you know, the Scotch uh, Whiskey Association, I mean, they will, they go to high lengths to protect that name. And I just feel like that in bourbon... It's kind of like, can we get a paycheck? Can we get a, a something, a, some attention on a brand? And I just feel like no one in the industry really takes this serious. It's like, you know, when I bring it up or Wade Woodard or someone like that brings it up, it is, uh, it's a like, well, you're just trying to like bring it down or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm being protective. 
because I have seen other countries make bourbon before and get away with it. And that will happen again if you don't protect it in your home turf. Again, I like the quality of these products, but why can't we say they're American whiskey for right now? I, the reason why is because the brands want to tap into the bourbon. Bourbon's hot. The, bur- the yeah. bourbon name. And it's not bourbon. Yeah. And so this is this is kind of a double-edged sword when you look at it as well. It's like, okay, we want to make sure that we are continually staying inside of the customer focus and the customer eye. It's really easy to get some, I wouldn't say it's easy, but it is, it is, it is not the hardest to be able to get some sort of secondary cask finishes, whether it's cognac or sherry or Madeira or name the other 30,000, Mizuna or whatever it is, other types of casks. Uh, the other thing is now you might be getting what we call like label sprawl where consumers are just going to be inundated with all this different stuff on the shelf and all these different finishes and just it becomes choice overload at this point. If they educate themselves, it's great. You know, it happened in wine. Eventually you have uh, brands like Prisoner that it's just about the label, you know. So it it's, uh, it is it is fascinating to see what's happening. And these um, products are creating incredible fan bases because the whiskey is good. I don't want to ever take away from that. It's it's a, the, the issues that we have here are labeling concerns, it's the one percenters problem, right? We're all like, ah, I don't yeah, really know. We got nitpicking we gotta, here. It's yeah, inside. Really well, it's inside baseball. <laughs> sure. But what we're about to taste here, three of these on this have been in like my top one hundred before, and like these are just these are really great whiskey, really good solid round offerings. Yeah. yeah. So Fred, what do you think? Like you've been scoring, tasting, tasting everything. What do you find is the best like secondary finished barrel types for you? Well, that's a great question. Because we had actually earlier, and you were kind of like, oh, I'm not too sure if I'm big on cognac casts. Like, wh- where do you? Yeah, mean? like uh, what the the Jefferson's rye was the first was the first cognac finish for a rye that I liked. Uh, I think a cognac can be overly aggressive because the the oak can be kind of similar to to the oak used for for bourbon barrels because they're toasted and charred uh, and using cognac. And so I, I feel like those are kind of aggressive. I feel like in sherry, I feel like sherry people that use sherry barrels over you know are too they get extract too much sherry and the bourbon is lost with the port barrels you know i think tawny port is the is the best one to use uh ruby port which is younger hasn't had enough you know it, it it's a it's a little too bright little too i don't know just just too cool lady i don't know <laughs> I, I i just actually was sniffing the uh, the tawny port angels envy and I actually kind of enjoy it more than the thomas s more sherry yeah he said you weren't listening oh okay he said, tawny port's where it's at tawny and, port's oh, where it's at there we go <laughs> he there said the what port no i wasn't listening <laughs> <laughs> the ruby port ruby port ruby, ruby port, port. Yeah, yeah. but my least favorite of of all barrels have been traditional wine barrels so like uh whenever there's a cabernet wine barrel or a pinot barrel i have i have historically not liked them i tend to like the either previous spirit barrels or the fortified wine barrels and fortified wine is wine that's had spirit introduced uh, and its age it ages with the uh, so uh, you would can little. consider like a sherry and a port fortified yeah that's yep. right They're gotcha fortified, fortified. i think explain it for people that i mean i probably need some explaining to too is like the idea of sherry and port versus a cab versus something like that i mean when you think of sherry and port like this is these are ones that don't come in regular wine bottles they're usually kind of short they're more dense they're 
really packed full of flavor versus something like it's a cab, which is, you know, you and they come in huge barrels. Yeah. <laughs> Massive so barrels. Little, little bit difference. And so, well. yeah. So, uh, Sherry, Port, Madeira, these are their wine. And then like spirit is added to them and then they age, they're put in barrels to age. And so it's fortified. It's a mixture and the, and the spirit, the creation of the spirit to put into the mix in with the wine is as important as the grape. So it's a, it's a very, very, very important. It's, it's an art. What do you think about rum barrels? Rum barrels are usually former bourbon barrels and it depends on the, on the rum distiller. It's just coming back home is what you're trying to say. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot true. It um, seems like it's a, hard, a lot harder to extract some flavor out of those or they got they be, because, yeah, because they, they've been yeah. worn out, you know, so much. Rum distillers, uh, especially you mentioned Foursquare, Richard Seal, man, he loves a beat up bourbon barrel. <laughs> he, he likes getting a barrel that's barely just standing. It's just like... You, you know, got to wrap some duct tape around it. I mean, and keep he it together. loves those it's barrels. It's limping in to the world. Because warehouse. that man understands wood. And like those barrels that are dead to everybody else, you know, get turned into like uh, flower pots at Lowe's. He's like, I can extract some, some flavors out of that. Uh, and the air will flow through it really nicely. And then you have, then you have some rum producers that will add, um, you know, do a process that they call dosage where they add like, uh, honey or sugarcane juice or something in there to sweeten it up and some of that sweetness will get into the barrel and i fucking hate that i hate <laughs> I, but it's not how you really feel i hate that and i know we'll get a letter for my use of the f word there i apologize if you had a child in the car i don't want sugar introduced to my barrel finish ever i want spirits i want an additional barrel but I do not want a foreign entity that has not been distilled or fermented. I got a question here. On the foregate, it says a sherry-rum cask. Does that mean that it was a sherry then aged in rum? Or was it we aged both and blended them together? You had it right the first time. Okay. That it, yeah. was, it was a double-use barrel. So it started off with being a sherry, then became a rum, and then finally aged some bourbon in it. I'd have gotcha. to get in the press release and tell you, I don't know. I, I got gotcha. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I think Kenny's right, but I don't know. I don't know on that one. The thing I love about the finish category is that like, and two, what I love about some younger whiskeys, some really good distillate is you get those like fruitier, citrusy, grapey type notes. And the finishes really bring that out in the whiskey. Whereas like a traditional Kentucky bourbon, they're great, but at 8, 10, 12, it's more oak influenced. You know, you're getting more that some of those fruity components get lost from the oak influence. And so this like amplifies like the fruity fruitiness that, uh, that I enjoy with distillate. Yeah. I actually, I started tasting some of those so far. Like I went from one to one, which was the Thomas S Moore, which is the Sherry cast the angels envy. I, honestly, I haven't gone back to this angels envy in a while. It's pretty damn good. Uh, it, had, I know. it, it wasn't overly powering with the, the tawny or port flavor. It was just subtle enough, but still had a lot of good bourbon essence out of it and stuff like that too. So um, all I, four of these are fantastic. With well, Thomas like S. Moore though, there's a sherry note in this that I don't, or a, a sherry cinnamon note in here that I don't get in like uh, 1792 by itself. And that's, that's what you always look for with these, with these finishes. Is there a note in there that you don't get in the bourbon otherwise do they complement one another and then i went and tasted the four gate and i was like whoa this is a lot and then i realized it's 132 proof compared to everything else so we're drinking over yeah. here so Come on, everything now, else that's what you in... brush your teeth with i know it? i i, I, I took but it, it has a richness to it in a like 
like you said, full flavor, just explosion in it. I really like a, I really like where it's, and it's what's a, happening in this one. It's a, and it's a subtle introduction of very very little rum influence, but it's just enough that you can kind of tell that was there or how it was a second barrel aging that kind of went into it. You know, the other thing that I want to kind of bring this up and kind of get your all's thoughts on as well is that. You hear all kinds of times in the forums from other people that might be probably more critics than anything else, and they'll bunch always, of assholes. And they and they will they, they'll say. Well, that, I mean, I'm a critic, so I'm saying I'm an asshole. Well, then here we I go. Let's lump you. Yeah. Let's see if you can lump yourself out of this bucket then, because most people in that sort of thing, the, the realm, and they'll say, oh, you know, finished products or finishing in wine barrels. You only do that for whiskeys that are terrible. Or you say, I've got this batch of bourbon that just didn't turn out pretty well. Let's go ahead and just age it in a wine barrel and then we can sell it. Kind of like get your all's thoughts on that. I mean, I don't think they're wrong. I think that I, in in tasting so many of them, I think that that is true for a lot of um, a lot of the brands. It's either that or it's like, you're, you hear it all the time. Like there's a new brand. How can we stand out? What can we do different? In 2012, it was like, well, I know. Let's go buy some port cask and finish it in a port cask. <laughs> and then, so everyone it did worked, that. It worked, didn't it? It worked. Exactly. And then now it's like, uh, and now it's kind of like, hey, man, have you tasted that? Yeah, it sucks. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, what can we do? Because it does suck. <laughs> you have that or it's like how wild of a cask finish can you get to actually make make something different? But before trying to change it, I mean, I, I do feel that there is this sort of stigma that lives with inside of the bourbon bourbon one percenter community that they, they think, oh, you only do this to bad bourbon, not bourbon you want to do good with. I think there is a, it's maybe a, something that's false to it. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen because Ryan and I, we have, I think, a barrel or two in inventory that we've tasted before and we've tasted it for the past three years and we're like, what the hell are we going to do with yeah, this thing? I, I, like, and it's never going to turn. And it's like, how, what can a, what kind of stave or cask finish or something that can we do to like save this lost investment because we just can't put it on the market yeah. as is. So we, we do, we do. There's your barrel pick, boys. <laughs> we, we do, we do face that qualm. North it, Carolina it, ABC. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that it is true. I mean, I, I would think that you do have that from time to time and, and some of these con- smaller producers, because if you're a big producer and you come out with a bad barrel, like what do you do? You just go dumping in the largest right, batch big, big of, blend, of yeah. whatever your big blend is. So it's not too too much to worry about. But smaller people, when you have an investment of two to $5,000 into a barrel and you go through and you just, you're like, well, this isn't going to work out. Who knows? Uh, the other thing is, let's talk about it from just a, a cost perspective when we start looking in what it does to actually take and, and start finishing your goods here. So for smaller producers, so Ryan and I as well, as we've never got into the, the finish side of things because it's it's scary because right. you can go and you can dump your bourbon that's perfectly good already and put it into a barrel and then wait a few weeks and realize, oh crap, this did not turn out the way we wanted. Like we don't know how to taste sherry barrels. We don't know how to taste a cognac barrel. We can't stick our finger inside there and be like, oh yeah, this is going to turn out great. It's a huge risk for a lot of these people going into it. And and so there's some that have been able to do it, all the more power to them. But I think you have sort of this idea of like, you know, if you're bigger, you have a little more leeway to, to kind of risk a few barrels. And if it doesn't work out experiment, great. Sometimes we might be like, we'll never financial recover for something like this. <laughs> yeah, too. It's like some of these, Fred probably knows because I do not, they just appear bigger. So I don't, what is the gallonage on like a, you know, a cognac, Armagnac? I know well, they, I said it in like bigger. a port... Yeah, 
They got to be what? They're like hundred gallons, eighty maybe. No, they're you get like a, you get a sherry barrel, and it's like it wouldn't fit in a. Some of them wouldn't fit in a modern pickup truck. Yeah, so I mean, you're dumping two to three. Well, probably two barrels worth of inventory, just you know, and that's to fill up that you barrel. Know, and, yeah. You know, whereas and if you look at the wood on that, it'll be real thick. Um, yeah, Armagnac barrels, you know, bigger. You know, I, I just I know what we're talking about here with the is it to save a barrel like a little bit of it. I mean, I think the best example of this is when people, and I know a producer, it's a source producer, that is like trying to get away from the the noted uh, uh, George Dickel flavor profile. They're just trying to get away from it. They don't want to be another George Dickel. And it's interesting, right? Because it's like... Every, we, we we dealt with the same exact thing trying to get trying to get away from it and you have got to you've got to come over that stigma for some people it is a challenge and they finished it in another barrel and it's like i mean whatever you did you made it a thousand times worse <laughs> <laughs> well it's tough because it does have some of the a pronounced citrus flavor you know yeah. that you're probably trying to pick up from the barrels you know the wine barrels or ex, whatever you call them fortified wines too it's like you're trying to extract some of those citrusy fruity flavors but dickel distillate already has that pronounced like orange citrusy kind of note so it's like it's like too much citrus going on it's like uh (laughs) and so to your point about like the community thinking that they're just trying to compensate for bad barrels or whatever they're on to something but it's not intentional i just think it's uh inadequacy in creation of of whiskey these are people who are new for the most part, and they're not as uh, seasoned with with what to do here. And we're still looking at a category that there's not a book on. I mean, there's right. people are still trying to figure out how to do barrel finishes. Which is and these new. four have like masterfully like. I mean, I keep going to this Angels Vivian. <laughs> well, hey, what's going on here? It's like yeah, okay, maybe good. they know what they're doing. You know, they've been doing this the most. But I mean, all four of these are like perfect examples of how it's like the barrel finishing is like it's just amplifying the good distillate that's already in there it's just adding like some you know fruity flavor like it's just it's not masking it's like amplifying what's yeah, already in it, there it's it's complimentary uh, i mean the jefferson's uh, cognac finish is a great example you get a lot of that licorice a lot of the herbal notes but you know from the rye but then you could get like this back end of of apricot and just a lot of like uh traditional cognac notes and it's in it and you can see like if you look at the color here i mean we're not looking at a 15 year old whiskey folks no this it's, is, it's hay this like is, this is young when yeah you put it on the palate i mean it's a rye you obviously know that and by the way rye doesn't have the same like protective measures so you can do whatever the fuck you want with rye <laughs> in my opinion but um it's it's fantastic but i was really, nervous about having this against the three bourbons you know but yeah. man it's really it good just, it holds up <laughs> yeah it holds it's, up. it's fantastic it stands out on its own but in its own different kind of regard only because that rye spiciness is a lot different than everything else this is also one thing that when i look at the category as a whole you do have some that are overly done in some of these casks and we've tasted some before when we've done even finished barrel casks and we're like this tastes too much like Grenache, or it takes too much like sherry. Yeah, like you, I'd rather just have the the actual wine. <laughs> you know, and and that actually kind of goes back into this original thought process of what Fred had talked about earlier. Like this needs to be defined. Like we have to put some constraints on things because for anybody that is not in the industry, you don't know about it. So you get a barrel. 
it comes off of a shipping container, usually you pop the bung off and, and put your nose in there and kind of figure out if it smells good or not. Like that's that, that's your telltale sign if you want to keep the barrel or not. But we've also heard these ideas of, since there's really no regulations around it, that you can, what they call, recharge the barrel, right? right? Where you can say, all right, if I bought a sherry barrel, well, what I can do and it's it took three weeks to come overseas or something like that, and you know that's that's enough time to to let some stuff sort of dry out. So what do you do? You take a gallon of sherry and you roll it around in the barrel for a little bit, but it doesn't mean you have to empty it out. <laughs> so like there's like that falls into this whole thing of like there is no guardrail to say, all right, well is this just a bourbon mixed with sherry? Or like how much sherry is actually in here? Because there is the idea of, of recharging barrels that, that exists in the industry, but there's nothing defined that says like what you have to do or what you have to get rid of or anything like that too. And keep in mind, we, we are in an industry where there have been brokers and this has been, this was uh, pointed out in a pot previous episode on this podcast. There are brokers out there that try to sell Rama's bourbon around the world, you know? So, I mean, this is not an industry where, where people are exactly... Uh, always going to follow the rules. <laughs> Honest even when Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's why, like, you got to be, you got to let your palate kind of dictate it. And so what I will tell you when you are tasting, if you detect something that tastes like it, it could have been a put in your iced tea, then it is, uh, there's something added there. That's the best way. Like, you know, you got those packs where you go to, uh, you have a you're at a diner and there's a little thing of packs there and you got that <laughs> you got your, pink pack. You got your sweet and low. Yeah. You got your sugar and you got your the stevia because you think you're healthy but maybe not. So. Right. <laughs> but if you feel it feels like it tastes like one of those and those all feel very unique on your tongue, then you have uh, something that's that's been added. That is the best thing I can I can tell people. And I will say that a good example is Angels Envy Rye. Angels Envy Rye. You put that on your tongue, it can taste like hard candy, you know, or like some kind of over, over like powerful candy. And that's because the barrels that they use have had that dosage treatment or whatever. I don't know if they're adding anything else to it. I don't think they are, but you, you make well, it, it's just you, going through the rum, you know, cause it's their rum cask, right? Well, yeah, that's what he makes a really good point is that you would, you, and this is actually, you are going to kind of like fight against each other here because he, he kind of talks about, yes, so Angel's Envy is finishing rum casks. And the very earlier in the part of the show, you the said, rye. well, it's actually very hard to pull any flavor out of the rum cask. Out of like the the two or three times I've actually had Angel's Envy rye. It's very pronounced. It's, <laughs> it's overly rummy. And, yeah. and I've just been like, it, it kind of, I'm going to say it turns me off, but it's just not my, my It's because you're using plantation barrels. And plantation is a, is a uh, distillery that has a new facility, West Indies and Barbados. So that's a whole nother thing they're trying to change the laws there what they can do but they add they add stuff in there that makes their their rum very very sweet a lot of people love their rum a lot of people love the rum the bartending community likes mixing uh cocktails with it but for a finishing barrel it yields a very particular type by the way i have never in one in my tastings to the public i have never tasted angels envy rye and some and and the audience didn't like it i mean it is a it's a hands-down winner almost every single time to a new drinking audience people love that product and you know what you know it's good i mean you have your diehards and you have your your newcomers that are into it and it's i think it's a it's an exploration in what you like and what people are are gravitating towards as well 
And honestly, when I'm tasting all these, I'm, I'm kind of gravitating towards like, I love when I'm going back to these, I like the Thomas S. More. We actually talked, we had Danny yeah. Kahn on the podcast uh, at some point too. And you know, we talked about how this is like an extended finish versus pretty much everything else in the industry is going to be where probably less than six months when it comes to finishing. Yeah, and so, too, from an age perspective, this is going to be far younger than uh, than the Angel's Envy and the Porgate. Exactly. And I think that's that's actually a good thing to talk about is is the age that should go into these. So let's let's kind of dive into that a little bit. So You can definitely taste the age on the Forgate. Yeah. And <clears> like you get those and so nice like, oak characteristics. Forgate was buying some distillate. And I'm not going to even, you know, because we don't, we don't know, no, no, unless we bring them on to be able to talk about it. But, you know, we, we understand. And they that, won't talk about it. We understand that it's some, <laughs> some older uh, double digit Kentucky bourbon that, that they had mm-hmm. finished in some different casks. So let's kind of talk about the, the age at some point. Like, do you feel that once you have age on it and you have, when you get to that 10, 12 year mark, like you have a good amount of oak. Like, is it, is it smart to sit there and say, all right, should we should we take away from the traditional route and say, we have a great, great traditional product to say, all right, well, let's go ahead and risk it, dump it in these other barrels and see what happens. Because with Forgate and Angel's Envy, definitely a little bit older versus Thomas S. Moore and Jefferson's, we know is a little bit on the younger side where you have that opportunity to actually go and, and be a little more risky with it versus saying, taking some of your premium barrels and throw it against the wind and see what happens. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So let's kind of talk about the, the age. At some point, like, do you feel that once you have age on it and you have, when you get to that 10, 12 year mark, like you have a good amount of oak. Like, is it, is it smart to sit there and say, all right, should we, should we take away from the traditional route and say, we have a great, great traditional product to say, all right, well, let's go ahead and risk it, dump it in these other barrels and see what happens. Because with Forgate and Angel's Envy, definitely a little bit older versus Thomas S. Moore and Jefferson's, we know is a little bit on the younger side where you have that opportunity 
to actually go and, and be a little more risky with it versus saying taking some of your premium barrels and throw it against the wind and see what happens. Well, in the case of Forgate, I thought it it was smart because there's a ton of this particular source distillate, tons of it out in the market where people were creating brands on the same exact. And so it's like, yeah. how can we differentiate our, yeah, differentiate ourselves and, you know, amplify the flavors that are there with something different. So I thought it was brilliant on their part. Now, if I'm at barrel strength, by the way, each one, we, each yeah. one of these we're tasting are not at barrel strength. Actually, I don't know. Is the Angel's Envy barrel strength? But uh, I know the four gate is by far at Angel. Yeah, Angel's Angel's is cash strength. It is, yeah, because it's it's one hundred eleven point eight. Yeah, yeah, one hundred eleven point eight proof. So I believe it's part of their seller collection that this is. Yeah, and and you know, four gate is this brand that people pricing is a whole nother conversation. But people ask me all the time, okay, I want a two hundred dollar bourbon. I'm like, well, what about four as a single barrel? No, 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 it's got to be two hundred dollars. I'm like, okay, go get four gate. I that when someone asks me that absurd question, I, I which is often, I send them to Forgate yeah. because it's it's a product that they can get and I can stand by it. Like it's, if, and it's usually in the glass case. Yeah, like it's it's, and it's, it's not just there. and every it's not just the other you know eleven to twelve year old source product no. that everybody else just throws a it's label unique. on and sits it in the glass case. You know, it's, no, I it's think unique. I, it's, I think they have done a great job with everything that you're talking about. Sure, and, and but if I'm one of those. If I'm a brand with a legacy brand, you know, top five, I don't, I'm not sure that I would use my older distillate for that. I would be like, this is, you know, we've worked hard for this. Let's, let's uh, hang our cap on that. We can use some of our younger product to, uh, if we're going to get in this space, I Test think the market that out yeah, a little I would bit. use probably like five to six year old if I it's could. It's a risk. It is. I mean, I think when we're looking at barrel finishes, I, I think it is a risk and I don't know. I, I think that this category is here to stay, but I'm not as confident about it being here to stay as I am with like toasted. I don't know if this, because this category has a lot that it depends on other categories. You know, the barrel finishing community, it depends on p- the port community. It depends on sherry community, you know, so it depends on things that are coming up. And I, I don't know where, this one's a little bit more volatile for me. And I don't know if I want to risk a double-digit aged bourbon finished in something. We talked about it before because experiments can go right or it can go wrong. Um, you also have the idea of just user fatigue when it comes to this as well. For most diehards, which is probably the most of you that are listening to this, I'm sure that your whiskey collection is only less than 5% finished products, maybe less than 10%. And I think that gives into you know, the, the, the idea that most like heavy bourbon, I don't want to say elitist, but people that are just definitely like really into the category, like they, they look at it and say like, okay, I want, I want a pure bourbon experience versus something that's rather traditional. And this is also one of the categories we look at to say, if you want to break out of the mold for a lot of producers, you want to try to make a name for yourself. You want to be a little bit different. How do you innovate? There's only a few other places left that you can innovate, and this is definitely one of those spaces. Sure. And so you've seen a lot of good things, and, and you know we actually were trying to find one earlier from like Joseph Magnus. I thought Joseph Magnus uh, did a really good job. One of the other brands that did able to come to the market, I think they had three barrel finishes on their regular product, which is not heard of. Like that's right. You would think like that's a that's a specialty release at the end of the day. Yeah, gosh, I love the the Magnus blends. Like the cigar blend is one magical just blend, and even like the single barrels we did with each component, 
I, I go back to those and I miss them. I wish it's like, where did those go? You know? Yeah, I know. You know, and it took the longest time to convince people that they were good. You know, it's like, what do you mean you don't want 13 year MGP in a cognac barrel or a sherry? You know? Oh, they, because they didn't want to pay $100 a bottle. Right. But now you're paying, you know, 100 plus for 10 year old Barton or 12 year old Barton. So, yeah, I, I, I like this. I, I don't know that it's uh, something that I want all the time, but it's great to, you know, if I have people over or just like, you know, you get bourbon fatigue sometimes, it's great to just change it up. But it's it's definitely fun to like see how the different distillates react to the different bar- finishing barrels. And uh, I, I'm a fan of it. I'm not saying like you should... Well, never mind. Angel Envy made a whole brand on it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you should... For most people, I, I'm not sure you should make your whole brand of it, but it's definitely a nice like offering like the toasted and whatnot. But I do see the toasted being more sustainable because it kind of stays within that realm of what they're already doing. Yeah. I, and, and it's still and actually it's still technically classified as a straight bourbon whiskey sure, because it's going, going in the new, new charter. New charter. Yep. And it, it, for anybody who's a lot less shenanigans the, with it. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, I agree. But uh, for anybody who finds themselves uh getting into the category of barrel finishes. I would encourage you to taste the origin of the barrel that's used in the finish. Like, I love port. I love sherry. I love... Tokai. It's crazy. I do not like port or sherry on their mm-hmm. own. But, like, I like them as finishing. Well, but maybe it's you just haven't had the right ones. Maybe that's, that's true. I've, maybe I, that's an opportunity that for anybody that's actually listening to this, if you are one of these producers, to say you you create a, a double-packaged offering. Sure. Yeah, and, and you have, and you have a little... Bartstown's, Bartstown Bourbon Company has been kind of brilliant in that regard when they you know, do a finishing collaboration, they say like what brand they are using, you know, in their product. Whereas oh, like like for Pavit Reserve. Right. They they've said done. the winery that they're or winery or rum or whatever, you know, finishing product they're using, they're using it as a collaboration. Say, we use this particular brand, whereas all these others, it's like, well, I mean, Bardstown could just rename themselves as collaboration distillery. <laughs> and, and that's just their it whole MO. It, yeah. it does work. I think their first two products were collab, you know, yeah. with Copper and Kings. And I mean, uh, everything they yeah. do is like a collab. They're like, we're just one big happy family. <laughs> yeah, it's smart. But Fred, I kind of want to get your idea on this because Ryan had mentioned getting fatigue of just tasting bourbon. I mean, does that ever happen to you? I, I, because I, I have had that before where you, I don't know, maybe you're in the moment or something like that and you want to come downstairs and grab a drink and you look at it and you're like, I don't really know what I want. And then you see the, you know, the, the, the barrel that's a Grenache finish, you see the sherry cask finish, you see the port, you see the whatever, and you're like, yeah, I kind of want to step out of the bounds of, of doing a traditional bourbon tonight. I mean, kind of talk about it from a from a professional mm-hmm. taster standpoint. Like, do you get a fatigue where you say, I need to kind of change things up a little bit? Well, I, I will say that, um, you know, there are days I fantasize about like taking like, you know, three months off and just going fishing. And like people are like, oh yeah, have some bourbon with you. Like, no, I, I mean like no bourbon, no nothing, like hard palate reset. <laughs> I would I would love for that. But I mean, unfortunately, I, I mean I can't. And I also do realize I have the greatest job in the world. But if I am like after after this recording, I have to go review some products in, in my office. And I'm going to look at the shelf. I mean, I have I right now probably have 40. 40 products on my review shelf uh, to get to. And I'm probably going to go with the ones that I think that, you know, are not going to shock my palate or, or something like that. And, and if I see a, if I see a sherry cask finish, I'm going to be like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want to, I don't want to taste that today. And so, yeah, I mean, for, for me, like, I don't like to put uh, barrel finishes in the rotation 
of a tasting where I need to do reviews because uh, if I have to do 10 tastings in a day, the the barrel finish can linger a little bit longer. And I just, I get, I can be so like uh, critical and like just kind of laser in on these a little bit too much. And I, and for my own objectiveness, I, I like to not review them when I know I'm going to be pissed off. At them. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? I guess it's good not to go in with a total well, bias. I'm, I'm like, sorry yeah. you're pissed off when you yeah, no, it's yeah, like, yeah, I didn't know what least, we did to you. I didn't do anything. He just, <laughs> he just saw the wrong stoplight and all of a sudden he hated our product for the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the other thing I want to talk about is, is the pricing aspect of finished goods as well here, because most people want a, a very competitive price product and that's, totally understandable. But when you start bringing in an additional cask, you think about additional aging, that's additional time. It is the manpower that goes into actually dumping barrels into other barrels and having and dumping this, that barrel. <laughs> and what do you, I mean, what, you just got some funnel and you've got a, a whole snake kit that actually goes and like goes into the other bung. No, and you so dump it in a tote and then <laughs> it's, it's, it's bung to bung, right? Slap no. the bungs over here. Yeah. Make sure you line those bungs up. <laughs> yeah. And so, so when you, when you think about it, it, it is, it is kind of, there is, there is definitely a cost associated that comes to a, a barrel finishing type of product. And some do it better than others. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's some that are going to be in the, the lower part of the category. There's some that are in the higher part of the category. But here's the thing is that you don't get is, I, I take it back, Angel's Envy is probably the only one that's under probably the $50 mark, right? Oh, are they under, Thomas Moore is too. Are they under 50 though? I mean, yeah, Thomas, yeah, yeah, I think Thomas Moore is actually under 40. Which is, yeah. which is uh, different they, well, compared to the The, the standard entire. Angel's Envy is definitely in that, 35, Probably 40. 35 to 40 yeah, at the most. It's affordable. Okay. Anyway, yeah. you, you know where I'm going with this is that, yes. that it, it does take a little bit of incurred extra cost to be able to do some of this sort of stuff. And I guess I kind of want to push it and Rhino, I'll ask you this is that when you do start introducing barrel finishes, do you start looking at this as like, okay, this is this is extra value cost. This is yeah, this is value I, add here. And I think we, need, we need to be able to charge accordingly for it. I definitely think there's a perceived value with that. Now, as far as like the extra, the actual cost, I think it's very minimal. Even if you have a, you know, say a extra barrel is a thousand dollars time you divide it over because you're refilling it with, you're going to fill it all the way up. You're not mm -hmm. losing ton to angel share. You're not going to let the angel share take it. You know, part so here. the, the cost per bottle. And keep in mind is, too, they, they add barrels. And so like you get one of those sherry barrels, you could put three, four, five right. bourbon barrels into one of those. And, just keep, and keep recharging it. We talked mm -hmm. about it earlier. You just keep recharging it. There's nothing tells you they can't. So. Exactly. But the perceived value I think is there. And that's what's smart about this and toasted and whatnot, even though it's a, not very much additional cost, the perceived value, you know, you can tell the story of, gosh, we got to move this into other barrels. We got to siphon it, you know, line up bungs or whatever. You're yeah, talking I like, about. I like slapping bungs. But definitely perceived value if I there. see, well, if I see like Barton 1792, you know, and then I see Thomas S. Moore might be $10 more for a finished cask, you know, I would, I would be happy to pay that just because I'm excited to try that distillate with the finishing, you know, would for me as a customer. Well, how about as a, as a whiskey geek? Where do you, where do you stand as a whiskey geek on it? Well, yeah, I love 1792 distillate, but I've had it a thousand times. So I'm more excited to try Thomas Moore and I'm happy to pay that as a whiskey geek just to, to try it. So, um, and it too, I mean, the price on these and problem is with Thomas Moore, it's not 
you know, it's going to fall under that uh, every other Sazerac product that limited release. It's, it's, it's going to be yeah. hard to find. Actually, this I feel like that. they're pretty easy to find. Are they? Yeah. I haven't seen any. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's going to depend. Like, this is the 2022 release, so we'll see how, how yeah. it goes. But, but then you, you, you take, but... like, you know, that say this four gate, I, I'm not sure what the price is, though. Typically, those are what, $150, $200 plus? I think that's 225 Yeah, I think it's a little bit over 200 I mean, but you are getting. 12 year cash strength, 11, 12 year cash strength bourbon. It, is it age dated on here? Well, I mean, it, it, it's not age dated, but it's you not, also but, have to understand that you, it, it is also, I mean, we know, sourced, we know, we know yeah. the people from behind it and it's a source product and you're going to pay a little bit more, but it's also one of the things that you've got to be able to make carve a niche out for yourself and be a little bit different in this particular market. So they, they don't have the opportunity that other other people do because they don't have the, the time and stock people to make sure. that happen. But to me, it's a, even at 200, like just tasting it, like, I, I mean, it reminds me of, it, you know, like a Willett family estate, you know, eight to 12 year product, you know, and I think 200 bucks is a value because I think you're getting a lot of similar flavors that you're getting from those. That's a really good comparison, by the you way. You know, so like, uh, you know, ironically, same bottle and uh, same glass, <laughs> just uh, just no uh, purple foil or green foil on it. But uh, I mean, for like a super premium, like unique offering, I, at two hundred dollars, I'd be I'd be happy to share this with my guests and be like, look, try this. Like, this is really good. So, if if anyone out there listening wants to take a stab at being a professional critic. This is one of the safest ways to do something. There you go. Start taking notes right. here. So this is the safest way. This is the uh, uh, you to, can, to you, talk about price. How to follow Fred Minnick and be him on. Oh no, LinkedIn. I don't. I, I don't do this. I don't. I don't do a lot of this. But a lot of people do this, and it's very safe. And people are very sensitive about price. But you can say, I really like this, but I don't like it for the price. You know. And so what you do is you say like you affirm that you like something, but then you but you, that you don't necessarily want to spend the money on it, and that is. And that is the conundrum where barrel finishes put us is like it is a category that gets increased in price because there is a layer of perceived increased costs. Like you said, though, Ryan, there's not really right. a lot of increased costs. Uh, so there's a higher profitability uh, in a lot of respects once those barrels are acquired and once the things once the thing gets a churning, uh, there's a higher profitability for those uh, for those brands. But when you get past that $50 bill, it is like, how much do I want to spend? You know, it's, and it's like on a personal level, I'm going to buy a four gate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's at 200. I mean, I think I may go with this particular one. I may go up to 350. I mean, Ooh, look just, at you, big spender. I'm, I'm just saying like, this is. Somebody it, hit red 20 or black 23 on, on roulette over here. They it's complicated. Good. Hey, I want to buy lunch. I, I want to sit red by, you know. Yeah. Fred, Fred Minnick shows about like yeah about it, <laughs> but no, I agree. I mean, I think for this four gate, it's in line with you know some of the older Parkers I've had, some of the older Willets. I mean, I think for a unique, rare limited edition, it, it's uh, it's hitting all the boxes for me, and it's so, worth it's worth what the MSRP is on it. So therein comes the question. Let's say Thomas S. Morris fifty dollars more, or, or it's at fifty dollars. Is four gate two hundred dollars better? Than Thomas S. Moore. And that right there is the question we all face when we go into a liquor store. Well, Ryan just tasted it too. I'm going to let him give us 
thought here in a second, but when I look at it, I also think they are also they're they're two different whiskeys. They're two different finishes. They're two different well, ways to really. kind of look at things. They're, well, no, I mean they're, they, they're the same whiskey. Well, you know, you okay? <laughs> maybe it's the same whiskey in the well, day. Hey, golly, he's he's always and he wasn't going to disclose. I know he's he's the lowest common denominator. He figured it out right there. Is that it? It it, it, it does come down that, that it really was there the entire time. But okay, we'll say on the the top denominator, but it's down. Well, the top denominator has has a little bit different things, right? So you've got different kind of barrel finishes, you got different kind of uh, proofs and everything like that. For me, when when I think about the two, I would only lean towards Thomas S. More only because if you are a Scotch person, you like a big sherry butt kind of finish, you're going to get that in Thomas S. More, which I actually enjoy sure, yeah. in that one. Whereas Four Gates a little subtle, and 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 this is a, it's a much it's a lower proof, which is probably great for most Scotch drinkers. Uh, when you start getting into it, it's not like you're getting like a bunch of uh, barrel proofs kind of Scotch out there versus barrel proof in the bourbon whiskey industry world, which is kind of almost getting commonplace now, and and it is more of a premiumization kind of category too. Yeah, I guess it. And we did a toasted, you know, blind tasting. I don't know. At some point, some episode ago, you know, the the reason we picked the winner because it was, it was what we thought was the best representation of toasted category. You know, and and I feel like that's the same here. Is like, I like the flavors that Four Gate is offering. I like those better. They're more amplified as a bourbon drinker. I like them because it is more bur- bourbon focused in the finishes is like just a nice little subtle addition there. But uh, if it's like a finished category, yeah, I- I'd have to reevaluate. Uh, for for the tasting today, <laughs> Four Gates, hands down, my favorite. I like all of them. You know, the question I posed to you, Ryan, is it $200 better than, than Thomas S. Moore? When you go back to Thomas S. Moore, it's like it's really good. It is good. Like it's really good. Danny Kahn nailed it. Like he, he, he had he found that perfect balance of like the finishing, but there's still those bourbon characteristics. It's like a happy marriage between the two. Like Fourgate is like subtly there. Angel's Envy is like more pronounced, and the cognac on the Jefferson is like very pronounced, and it's very yeah. Good. I mean Jefferson's, I think you know we we're looking at a rise. So it, it's like, hard because we're yeah, yeah got the yeah. Three bourbons it, it's here, but not comparing apples and oranges. <laughs> It's really good. Like right. I, I could drink this all the time. It's fantastic. Great job, Trey. Who's an incredible barrel finish guy. Yeah, you know. But we talked about some of the issues with with the labeling. But if we just remove that, we remove the pricing. You know, the question is, what whiskey do I want to drink on a regular basis? And it's Fourgate. This Fourgate uh, is, is fantastic. I'm glad you like that. I'm, I'm actually leaning probably towards more the Angel's Envy on this one. If I had to choose my favorite of the four. And it just has a, it's not an overly pronounced amount of, of tawny and port. It's just enough that I still get a lot of those great bourbon characteristics out of it, that you still get a little bit of that sweet corn, a little bit of that sort of something out of it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that one, but Ryan, I'll kind of let you wrap that one up. I mean, if we're going just on these four, like the, you know, not considering whether it's finished or whatever, just flavor alone, I'm going to go four gate all day for me. but. If we're going like, what's the best of a, who did the best of finishing? The Thomas S. More for me is, yeah. uh, is there, there yeah. for me. Yeah, I, I think Thomas S. More, that, that is a great example of that. It probably does finish two for me as well in terms of overall. Um, I feel like we could break this up. You know, it's, it's funny. It's like when you play soccer in the Olympics, there's only one winner. 
because right. it's the one kind of sport. It, However, it, you go into swimming, you've got the 300, 300 meters, you got the 500, right, you got the 1,000, right. you got the relays. I, I, I think the, the best whiskey here that was finished is probably Thomas Moore. But the thing I like the most is Fourgate. Yeah, it, I think we're all, all over the place. Like, we, we've all liked... Each one of these individually. I hope that's clear as mud. Yeah, listeners. well, I mean, but I think it, it just gives our, our listeners an, an opportunity to kind of understand that we we all have different aspects and characteristics that we like of each. And in each one, as I mentioned, it, it kind of goes back into an Olympic or a swimming category mm-hmm. of like, how do you how do you define which is good depending on what parameters that you're judging it from? And, and right. each one's going to be It comes back to the beginning of the episode. Like, which means <laughs> we, there's, there's we no need more parameters. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing that defines it. Yeah, I mean, and and I, I got to think that the people who are putting out tawny port barrels, or, or you know, I, I would I would think that those those manufacturers of those original barrel homes would want would want people to know about them. So, I just we just got to shore this up because you hear the enthusiasm for the whiskey itself in our hearts. For the I love the cat. I love love barrel finishes. I think it's awesome for american whiskey and i think well if if we figure this out right like american whiskey becomes the the gold standard of uh, of whiskey in the world i mean and that's yeah that's I, saying something because scotch owns I, the I world. still think I've, I've had tons of sherry cask finished scotches this and that and they're, they're okay but you get a good american bourbon in those and and you find the right balance there's nothing better yeah i agree i agree find the right balance that's what it's all about so let's go ahead and we'll wrap it up but this has been our episode of talking about different types of barrel finishes and kind of our thoughts about them in the future and, and what it's really going to mean. So make sure that you, if you like what you hear, that you subscribe to us on all the different platforms. If you want to find out what's the latest episode that's coming, go to bourbonpursuit.com, sign up for our mailing list. And as well, if you like what you hear, make sure you share with a friend. That's the best way to make sure that we can get this in the hands of the Biggest whiskey drinkers is out there because, heck, they probably need some the, the windshield time as well to to go and kind of break it down and, and listen and have some have some good to listen to. And mm-hmm. we can we can make that it's happen. Therapeutic, well. actually, and follow our friend Fred Minnick. Yes, know, and good. follow Fred Minnick as well on all his social media. So find out who his number two whiskey of the year is. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the number two whiskey of the year because you can't get number one. And uh, but no, it, it's with that. And you know, he's he's got a great YouTube channel of presence right there. So if you're if you're more of a visual learner go ahead and check that out too. But with that, cheers everybody, and we'll see you next week.